Welcome to DMs of Vancouver. The show where we talk to our awesome friends and amazing guests about how to help you become a better GM for your tabletop games or review games that we've played recently from a GM and a player perspective. I'm Jesse Boros and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Sean Hagen and my pronouns are also he, him. We're your co-hosts for this podcast and we've got another great episode for you. This podcast is recorded and produced on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. Uh, today, we're going to be talking again about Numenera, specifically doing a session zero for a Numenera campaign, setting up new characters, and uh, doing some world building. Yeah, we hope you enjoy it. Roll for initiative. Right. So, uh, jumping straight into it. Uh, so, we're talking about Numenera again, specifically because uh, literally an hour ago, we finished uh, session zero for a Numenera campaign that I'm going to be running and Jesse is going to be playing in, along with uh, three of our friends. Yeah, who'd have thought it, Sean? Uh, I'm actually Four. playing in a game you're running. <laughs> yeah. So, this is, it's, it, it's something we've we've talked about a little bit before, but the fact that this, after three years, four years, however long this podcast has been going, we have never played in a game together. Or we haven't played in a game that the other one has run. I think we might have done a one-shot or two where somebody else ran. Yeah, we played together, and we've, we've run one-shots for each other. Yeah, but, but never, never a campaign. An, yeah, never an ongoing game. Yeah. Um, and... And we're pl- we're running. Uh, I'm running this game in Numenera because it's a setting I'm interested in. The system is really interesting. I enjoyed doing the the beginner's box of Numenera and uh, being able to dive into it a little bit more. Play with the systems. Play with the setting is 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 exciting. So um, let's let's start off by talking about character creation because Numenera. I mean, it, it's a thing that you run into whenever you start a new game in a new system that you're not used to is that character creation takes longer like i think either of us could probably create a character in D pretty quickly uh you know not needing anybody's help or anything but with with numenera i think there's problems that i think everybody ran into and there's problems that only one or two people ran into and i i'm still trying to figure out if that's this how much of that is the system and how much of that is just they couldn't quite assemble the character they wanted in their head. Why don't, why don't you talk about your experience with, with character creation? So, I mean, I think part of the issue with it was that it's, it's also just a new system, and that's always confusing, especially if it's at all detailed. Um, I do think, looking back on it, because we kind of we did some world building at the table too, and I think if we had done that first, it might have uh, might have made it easier, at least for me personally, to like know more what I want. Right. But that said, the fact that we did, had made characters earlier did make it easier for us to like pick some kind of like specific figures we wanted. So right. it, it's kind of a, there are pros and cons either way. Um, I think my thing coming in is I thought it was going to be really easy because I'm like, oh, you make three choices. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> there are some sub choices in there and there's also a lot of options. Yeah, I think that's something that I don't think either of us really realized going into this is that, yeah, you only make three choices, but two of those choices have like 30 things to choose from each. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, to be fair, we're pay- playing with what it's Discovery and what's the other one called? Destiny? D- Destiny, yeah. 
excuse me, uh, we're playing with the uh, the two books instead of just the one kind of core one, which does provide us more choices. Well, it's interesting because Numenera, like we're playing with Discovery and Destiny, which is the best way I can think of to describe it is that it's it's Numenera 1.5. Like it's not a brand new edition, but they did change some stuff. And uh, it's it's interesting because I remember like at one point, because um, we were using the uh, the player's guide, which is a document which is basically only useful for building a character. Like it doesn't seem to have much rules in it. It doesn't seem to have as much detail as the core books. But um, what's interesting is that that player's guide has everything that has been split up into discovery and destiny in one book. So like you were looking for the, like a better description of one of the descriptors, <laughs> the, the descriptions you can choose for your character and couldn't find it in the one book. And it just happened to be in the other one. And just, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, my personal biggest frustration with it was skills because it, I, I think it's what it's trying to do kind of is sit in the middle of the options of what it's presenting. And I wish it was either in that it has a list, but that list isn't definite. It isn't everything that you could have. Uh, whereas I wish it would either be like, this is the list and these are your choices for skills. Or, you know, here is an example of a few. Yeah, like five. Five. And like, you know, and then just, you know, name some other ones. Or, you know, here are five that are, like, particularly important, like um, Cypher or whatever. It's, or Numenera is, I think, the skill. Or Numenera knowledge or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, like, some other ones. Because I just, like, my... What, were, what are the, the three ones? There's the focus, the yeah, role. Yeah, so it's type, type, focus, and descriptor. Yeah, my descriptor gave me some skills that were, like, very vague and, like, specific. Um, and I would have loved to have looked at that and gone, oh, I get this skill, but it only is applied in this situation, as opposed to like making kind of a new skill that was based around that description. Like, it's one thing if it's there for when you make like kind of a custom thing, but when I'm choosing an option that's presented in the book, I would much prefer that I just have the list um, as yeah. opposed to otherwise. Like looking back, the skills are one part of Numenera that I understand what they're going for, but the way they have it presented in the book is confusing because Numenera is more of a narrative style game. And so having a set list of skills doesn't quite jive with like A, how the the types and and focuses work and even the descriptions. But the fact that the book, um, like in the uh, discovery book, which is if you're going to go out and buy a book to play Numenera, you only need Discovery. And it has a list of skills in there, but it's it's kind of like the basic list of like, yeah, here are, you can climb, you can be perceptive and like all these other kind of things. But because you have the freedom to make up a skill, like that list of skills feels limiting in a way that it wouldn't be if they just didn't have the list. Yeah, or if like you said earlier, there's five or even ten things. But the fact is that list had like 30 some odd skills on it. So when you look at it, it feels definitive. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know how, like what they could do to have examples or, you know, I, I think what would have actually been more useful is if there was, and they might have these in like the greater text, but like instead of presenting us with that big list being like, 
oh, here's an example. You know, you have this thing. Uh, you know, you're playing a cunning character, so you get this type of, you know, you get the skill to influence people, but only when you're trying to trick them or something like that, right? Like, yeah, and it's, but that's kind of tricky because like you're kind of supposed to come up with a one word description for the most part for these skills. So it's like, yeah, I can, I can get somebody to believe me, but only when I'm trying to trick them is like, it's a weirdly specific skill, but at the same time, like, I mean, there probably is a word out there for that kind of charisma, but yeah, it is, it is kind of weird that, yeah, the skills are like wide open. You can choose whatever skill you want, but the way it's presented, I think, I think what, trips me up is the fact that they have that list of skills but then they tell you that you can come up with whatever skills you want but then the descriptors also have like you get this skill it's like but what does that mean yeah i i would have loved a like character creation cheat sheet maybe there was one on the table and i missed it but like because that's the other thing i'm like do i get more skills than this do i only get the skills from the three descriptors do i get those and plus i get another two just for any character like i don't I don't know how it works. Yeah. I th- I think you can one of the options when you're leveling up your character is that you can pick a new skill or train up a skill you've already got. Um so that you can go from being trained to specialized or you can just pick a brand new skill because we've needed to be like one of us needs to know how to do this because we keep running into it so I'm going to get the skill. Um justify but, it through narrative. Basically, yeah. Um that, but that was my main main issue. The other thing was there's like lots of options and kind of, I think, because I didn't look at the options as much as I could have beforehand. It was like pretty overwhelming when you're trying to decide on something with there's four other people at the table also trying to decide on the same thing. And then like, you don't yeah. want to overlap, especially I think on a first character, nobody wants to do the exact same thing as anybody else. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like removing the structure of a class system like D&D and just saying here's a bundle of abilities and or skills that you can pick from on the one hand it's great because like you can have a party full of what are essentially like the fighter class quote unquote in Numenera but they can all be vastly different fighters because you know one has this ability to create a magical suit of fire armor and this one can do stuff with ice magic and this one is really good with weapons is is a really great idea it's just something in the execution is not at least i mean to be honest this is something i've run into a couple of times now is that the character creation for almost any system if you don't have somebody there who's done it like three or four times character creation is kind of it's not a chore to get through the first time. It's just more confusing than it has to be. But I think that's, it's kind of a problem that you can't solve because by the time somebody knows the character creation system well enough to be able to create a character quickly, all of the little gotchas are things that they just are in their subconscious. Yeah. I mean, like, so this is the thing that I think more games, especially that are from mid to high density should do, like build it. A character builder it doesn't have to be sophisticated but like you know where i can click on jack and it's going to be like okay you're a jack you get these you need to make this additional choice like even doesn't even have to make the sheet but something that like takes you through the steps 
Um, and like, again, it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be an entirely text-based with, you know, the standard gray buttons, like the very basic coding stuff. I feel like that is probably not that difficult to do for some games. And I, I feel like it would be a big help just like trying to build the character and like kind of being able to be like, oh, okay, so this is the next step. This is the choice I should make. Maybe wait on this choice. Uh, yeah, it's... I don't know. It may, and you know what? Maybe there was a character creation section that maybe we should have read at the table as a group that we didn't. But it looked like it was an entire chapter of the book, and we don't have time to read 70 options while we're all sitting there. Yeah, it's it's funny because like one of my absolute favorite systems is Eclipse Phase. I think if I ever ran an Eclipse Phase campaign, I would generate a bunch of characters and hand them out the table because like it's a like that character creation system is Byzantine <laughs> and like Numenera is like, like, yeah, it's at its surface. It's like, yeah, you make three choices, but because there are so many options available, it, like you said, like trying to create characters for the first time playing in this system, everybody wants to be unique and it's, there's a lot of stuff that you have to go through and some kind of guided character creation process would be, fantastic even if it's literally a spreadsheet yeah Not, and I th- even in the book just like you do this then you do this then you do this these are the things you gotta do with it like, like i wish it, there was something yeah because like the I, I bought the uh the pack of of character sheets that you can get uh like a, they sell them on their website they sell them i think some gaming stores have them but it's a it's a it's a pack of 50 character sheets that are double-sided so you can get these like it's nice paper. It's it's printed on both sides. Um, they're nice character sheets, pretty to look at. They're just also confusing to look at if you've never seen them before. But they, uh, I was going somewhere with this and I blanked on it. But basically, they're not laid out in a new, like a friendly to new players way. Yeah, it's they're very cool. I will not be using it. Yeah, like it's it's one place where like the. Because I talked about this uh, when we were doing the session zero about how like Numenera as a system and as a setting, the rule books kind of emphasize like it's weird. And I feel like that emphasis on weird, it leaks out a little bit into like the design of the character sheets, um, the way that some things are described in the in the rule books. It's it's something that like as a GM like I, I remember having to read through some sections of the rule book a couple of times to just make sure I understood what it was trying to say, just because, you know, the way that things were laid out was weird or it's just this one descriptor or ability or something does something out of character and just takes a while to understand, like, what is it trying to tell me here? Yeah. I, yeah. I think you're, you're right too. And what you said earlier, like if we were more familiar with the game, had played it before i think it would be easier but it's just one of those things where we're like we don't know what playing the game is like so it's hard to make some of these choices not really knowing what they mean yeah yeah for sure and, and it's, it's one of those things moving from another system well moving from D to another system because i mean let's face it 99 of the people who play tabletop games if they play something other than D, they probably played D first and um, something that I, I read that made me laugh was that um, some people are thinking that Monty Cook Games, the uh, publisher and writer writers of the game, are um, 
giving in a little bit because they've released a couple of source books now that are Numenera, but for D&D 5th edition, basically. Um, like there's a, there's a whole adventure module that they put out that is set in the world of Numenera, but it's a D&D 5th edition book. And I've seen people on the on like Reddit and stuff talking about how they're wondering how much of them putting out a book like this was uh, prompted by people keep who keep trying to run and play Numenera like D&D because coming from D&D to well coming from any game to another system is is going to be tough and a game like Numenera that really only shares your like the D20 is it's not easy it is actually kind of tricky to get it like explain how all the things work and 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 like I was trying to explain how the pools and stats and edge and effort and how all of that works. And I think the, like you mentioned, like, yeah, this will probably make a lot more sense when we actually start playing. And I feel like it's, it's kind of the thing with board games. Like you're not going to understand how this thing works until you actually start playing. Yeah. Well, the thing with Numenera too, is that the, the way it works is actually very simple. It just doesn't sound like it. Yeah, doing it, then you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's straightforward. Yeah, I have these things. They they lower the difficulty rating. Um, it's it's honestly nice because in a lot of ways it's more codified and transparent to the players how difficult a thing is going to be than D and D often is. Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the the interesting things that I saw was that it, it had never occurred to me to not share the difficulty number because Numenera is. Is a game that's much. It feels like it's meant to be run without a GM screen. Like you might still want to have some information that you keep hidden, like you have a notebook that you always keep closed unless you need to reference it or something. But Numenera feels like a game where everything is out in the open, which tends to be the case for storytelling games. Uh, but and I don't mean everything, as in like what I'm planning story wise and all that. But I mean when it comes to the mechanics, like it's not like D&D where if you have characters like players who have never encountered a goblin before they have no idea how difficult it's going to be whereas with Numenera it's like oh yeah this creature is level three so this is like it's going to be about this difficult like it's not hiding things that you have to discover the way you do with D&D but because there is a lot of stuff just out on the like I don't want to say out on the surface because it's like you do have to dig for some things but yeah like the system is pretty simple, but just understanding it takes a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that despite the fact that it, it did sound complicated, it also only really took, took you like 10 minutes to explain how characters worked. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it only took 10 minutes because I think we all agreed like, yeah, we'll understand this once we start playing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, glad but, to be helpful with that point. <laughs> yeah. But like, like talking about, how how many choices there are to make despite there really only being three choices like we like we sat down once everybody had arrived and we were doing some initial like i was explaining the setting and kind of how the ninth world works and the some of the backstory and and what it means in numenera for something to be weird um started explaining the stats and the system and all that and then like and that only really took like half an hour and it felt like out of the like we had time boxed four hours and 
three and a half of that was trying to create characters, which again, a new system, everybody's new to it. Doesn't seem that uh, crazy, but it is a, I think everybody was spending that entire time, like going over like, which descriptor do I want? Which foci do I want? Do I even, do I want to change my type? Because like one of our friends changed what type would like is, I think he went from like, glaive to nano to to jack or something like well and i went from glaive to jack yeah and like it it's one of those things um because you're trying to build kind of a more well-rounded character as opposed to one a character who does really specifically one thing um you know you go in you know my thing was like i'm like oh i'm gonna be a glaive and i want to be punching people as my form of combat and there was a thing for that but after i chose that i was like well i mean the glaive does make me do more damage but fighting is not all this game is, and often it's not that important in the game, depending how you play. So I would rather have more skills and stuff. And actually, that was the thing that was kind of disappointing. I felt like I didn't get a lot of them from being the Jack. I know I get the one where every day I get to choose a different one and kind of rotate, but I, I would have liked to have gotten maybe like, you know, two or three skills that I permanently get as opposed to one. <laughs> I think I have to take another look at the at the rule book because we we might have missed something because I I'm pretty sure jacks are supposed to start with more skills but well I, I get you get skills from your descriptors and stuff too but it was just one of those things where I'm like I feel like I'm missing something but I'm not sure yeah um, but and you know again a thing that's also important to remember like uh, despite the fact that we've each played like a handful of different games uh, we are not actually that experienced in playing lots and lots of different systems. Yeah. So it it might just be that you know we're not used to at this point learning how to like kind of quickly pick up a new character building. Yeah, system. and I, I I will say that some of our confusion is probably it's probably on us. It's a new system. We need to get used to it. Some of it though is on the system itself because um, there's a question that you asked because there's something that shows up all throughout the player character section of of the rule book um and it's 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 a word that you'll see under like skills and abilities which is enabler and what bugs me like this is one of those like how easy is this system to get into for new people is that i knew the answer to that because i had run into that question before and figured out what the answer is uh, but I remember when you asked, I knew the answer, so I told you. And then I spent some time trying to figure out how would I have found the answer if I had not known. And like the biggest thing for that is that enabler is not in the index of the oh my uh, God, really? discovery rulebook. Yeah. So this is a thing. This is a general design thing. Uh, and like, I'm not a game designer. I don't know a ton about design, but I do know this. If you are going to have an ability that has a common word that is not trademarked that you could use to describe it, you should use that instead of a new phrase because enabler means passive. <laughs> well, I think, well, I think that's the thing is that it is a passive ability in Numenera. Like you don't have to do anything for it to get activated, but well, you're right. Like why couldn't they just say this is a passive ability or this is a passive skill? Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, it, it should have just said passive. And also maybe that should be beside the title in brackets along with, you know, whatever it might take to do it. Yeah. As opposed well, to having it at the end of a paragraph of description as a single word. Uh, yeah. And like, or if you're like, if you are dead set on using a ter a different term, like if you want to use enabler instead of passive, cool, put it in the index. 
so that people can easily look up what this thing is. Um, so there, there were a couple of moments like that that I think I was able to smooth over most of them because I had already run into them trying to figure some stuff out reading through the rule book. Yeah. Um, I want to be clear that I am being like kind of persnickety and picky about this. Uh, like I think that that one example is, is a bad design choice. Um, but like I, I do think overall character creation is, is fun and like a lot of it was us being excited because of all the choices we had before us. Yeah. And, and that's, it's, it's the, I think the reason why, like part of the character creation took a while because like we, like we've been saying, it's a new system. People are trying to understand how all these pieces fit together. Um, but I think it also took so long because it's like paradox of choice is like when you put that many choices in front of people, they're going to want to either spend time reading through all of them or you know be able to pare down this list to like three things but still not be able to choose because all of them are awesome yeah um and like i think it's also worth saying none of us i think finished making our character at the table yeah um which i I think i will say is probably more to more to do with the fact that like 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 we just said like people were excited about all the options but also I think with a new, like when you come to a new system like this, it's probably a good idea that we didn't finish the characters because there's stuff that you might have read that needs time to percolate in your subconscious before you go, oh, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, like there, there's a good chance I'm going to look at Clave again and see what the actual difference between like what I get and how flexible they are becomes because like, and you know, it, it might be later levels you get more stuff, right? Um but like you know, it's also a game where there's a chance you never level. <laughs> yeah, because of the way that advancement works, I like. I don't think it's common from what I've seen from people talking about running campaigns or playing in them. I like. I think it is, and this is on me as the GM to make sure that I'm handing out enough. Excuse me, handing out enough experience points that you don't feel like you have to hoard them so that you can level up. Like it's kind of on me as the GM of a Numenera game to be handing out enough opportunities where you can like you know doing gm intrusions or recognizing that you explored a a ruin in an interesting way or you did something really cool and handing out xp for that so that you don't feel like you have to hoard so that you can do a re-roll or buy part of your next you know the advancement for your next level uh yeah i think it's going to be on me to make sure that i'm doing my part so that if somebody wants to like actually level up instead of just staying as a tier one character, which apparently is feasible that people have the resources to do either. Yeah. Um, and like, I think, and I think you'll do this, Sean, I think you're a good GM and know how to make your players comfortable at the table. And I think what, what will probably, and what I'll try and do is be like, um, be like, Oh, Hey, should so-and-so have gotten an experience for that? Yeah, and I, th- I think I need to read through the like the the rules a little bit more and kind of make it a little bit more clear because that I think that is one aspect of D anD D that is kind of nice is that the experience is based around combat, so you know exactly what you have to do to move on to the next level, and that is go find stuff and kill it uh, or defeat it rather, um, and. You know, there like people t- like maybe don't like that. Like there's systems like milestone XP, which I kind of prefer, like milestone leveling. Um, but the fact that like D and D, it's very clearly like this is how you advance. Whereas Numenera, it's like, 
hope that the GM does enough intrusions that you can get to the next level. They, like it is a little bit unclear. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think it is one of those things where you are supposed to be handing out XP often enough that we're like, oh yeah, I can spend this to get a reroll instead, even though it puts me a point, takes a point away from my progression or whatever. Like, I like that XP is a resource, but I think we've talked quite a bit about character creation. I don't think we have much to say that wouldn't be just rehashing an earlier point. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about what we did for world building? Yes. So uh, for world building, basically beforehand, I came up with a bunch of questions that I knew I wanted the answers for. And uh, I, before we started, I borrowed your, your phone because the, the thing that you showed me, what game is that from? It's Aether, Heroic Fantasy RPG, which we mentioned earlier before, and I believe it was written by Eldritch Crow? Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, Eldritch Crow, um, which I have to play so that we can uh, do a review of it because it seems like a really cool game. But um, so basically the idea was that like rather than me going off and... Uh, creating the region that you all would be trapezing through and doing it all myself. I asked a bunch of questions that gave uh, the five of you a little bit more like narrative power in setting up this, this region. Um, and so I had, I had a bunch of questions and we can just, we'll, we'll just go through them and uh, just talk about some of the stuff that we went over on the table. So, to start off with, everybody decided that they they wanted to be a frontier town, and I think the vibe that everybody settled on was that this is it's a weird sci-fi western. You're out on the the edge, like the very very edge of civilization. Uh, you're in a small town, but the next town is like several weeks ride away, so you're kind of on your own. And uh, I it was interesting because when I was thinking about this campaign, and I was I was hoping that we would be able to use one part of the destiny rulebook, which is the like community building stuff. And so I'm so glad that you guys decided that we would do more of a community building thing. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I just, I was honestly expecting more of a like, yeah, we're, we're somewhere in this like civilized area. Cause like the, the main area of the game that like the, publisher the writers have already come up with and populated with countries and kingdoms and all that kind of stuff it's called the steadfast and it's kind of a renaissance late medieval like some people might have castles or a fortified ancient ruin or something and but like there's towns there's people and all this kind of stuff but you guys are like no we want to be out on the edge of civilization <laughs> we're like we want to be in the wild west equivalent but not yeah. actually the wild west yeah um and so I thought that was that was interesting. And uh, the uh, horror every now and then is okay. And hor hard moral choices every now and then are okay is something I'm definitely going to play with, I think. But um, let's talk about the town. Uh, yeah. Before we do, I want to actually chime in. Something I really appreciated is that one of our one of the other players uh, very quickly said something they did not want to play. Yes. Which is uh, great. And yes. you should, you know, if you're a player and you're doing a session zero where you're like kind of determining on the tone, you should absolutely do and try, try and get in there early with it. Yeah. And that's, it's funny. Cause it's one thing that I we've, we've touched on, I think 
in our original session zero episode we've touched on it with uh like player safety tools like the x card and stuff like that or like here's ways your players can have fun at your table and i think that's something that i don't think i've seen mentioned anywhere is the idea that like yeah in a session zero it's as much your players telling you the kind of game they want to play as the kind of game they don't want to play and and i almost think that that's probably a better way to phrase it because it's something that i i I knew i would run into because i've run into it any time that i've tried to like you know set up a game or like talk to people about starting something new is like when you ask somebody what kind of game do you want to play because there's so many possibilities it's kind of the same thing as with character creation like people just get decision paralysis they don't know what they want but when you ask them what don't you want to do oh i do not want to play like the example from our our friend was like they didn't want to play as part of a military structure they didn't want to be soldiers or mercenaries attached to an army or anything like that they didn't want to be part of a structure where somebody could order them to go and do something uh and and everybody's on board with that and i think that was great yeah because it's not an unreasonable thing to ask yeah um uh one thing i do want to say is that like this style of running a game is not necessarily gonna be for everyone i know there are gms who go into a game where they're like this is gonna what the tone is gonna be this is the kind of game i want to run and that is absolutely fine and that's how i built my last campaign <laughs> yeah but you know don't get twisted at the shape of somebody at the table it's like i don't want to play that yeah because it's fine if somebody doesn't want to play your game they they can find another game or if you really want them to play you can alter it yeah um it's uh you know it's try, it's, it's important to be an adult about these things right like yeah and, and i would say that like part of that is it's the reason that you're doing a session zero but if you're like this session zero that we did was kind of for me to understand the kind of game that you all wanted to play as much as you all building characters. So like, that's why we went through all these questions so that we could design together the area that you're going to be in so that I have a better idea of what kind of campaign to put in front of all of you. And I think the flip side is that if you as a GM are going to come in and you know exactly what you want to run, like you want to run a political intrigue game that's got a little bit of cosmic horror in it. Cool. Tell that to the people that you're inviting to play your game. <laughs> yeah, before the session zero, actually. Yeah, because and, it, it, and it's kind of it's it's one of those things where it's like again we kind of just come back to like communication. Just if you want to do a certain thing, tell your players even before your session zero, so that you don't, you know, invite four people over and then one or two of them decide they don't want to play. Yeah. And like, I know this is not a thing that's always feasible for everybody. Like not everybody uh, is able to do that. And I think also like uh, younger, younger groups who are like in high school and stuff like that. Sometimes it's, you know, a game, you don't decide to do a game until you're in the middle of a hangout anyway. That's, that's a thing that used to happen. (laughs) Um but, you know, as especially adults who've got jobs and have, we have to, like, manage our time and stuff like that, try and get that out in the open first so somebody can opt out if they don't want to do it. Yeah. And and I would say that, like, for forever GMs who are, you know, the GM for their group of friends, it can be a little bit tougher to make this suggestion work. But, like, if you've got a group who you've got multiple p- people who are open to being GMs, like, and maybe it's the only group of people that, you can find nearby who can play is preferably everybody who wants to play is really keen about the the concept of the game that you want to play but sometimes 
people don't want to play in a certain game and maybe you can like talk things through and tone down the elements they don't like and then they'll run a game and next and maybe they'll be want to run something that you don't want to play and so like there is a lot of like again it's communication yeah Uh, and, and you know give and take and you know not defending you know people who show up and are shitty about it it's not the same thing as like communicating what you want to participate in and maybe choosing to participate in something that you're like not super keen on, but you know, you still want to hang out with your friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Let's move on to the town building. (laughs) Yeah. So the town, uh, I just GM Fiat decided it's, it's far to the North um, and there's no towns or settlements further to the North. Uh, Nobody, so basically is like nobody has ever been encountered coming south. Like you are as far north as, as far as you know, anybody has ever been. Um, the town is only about 10 years old and the region, uh, thanks to a really interesting choice that, uh, or a suggestion that somebody made has only been livable for the last like 60 years. Um, and so like, this is a town that was, founded by somebody who found this this ancient ruin uh it turns out this ruin of a spaceship under this under this mountain uh it it has a couple of like minor benefits but the main thing is that like people are coming to this town in kind of a gold rush fashion because the word is is that the town founder has found a numenera that might be the key to unlocking and controlling a bunch of really powerful numenera in the area yes uh, so, yeah, you've got this Wild West town that is potentially on the road to becoming like you like whoever gains control of this town or like is able to hold control of this town potentially has the makings of a big kingdom on their hands. But uh, that's far in the future. We don't have to care about that yet. Uh, now, I do want to say that it felt like, oh, well, every player contributed something. There was one player who was like, really on top of good ideas for the setting and it was great yeah and it's it's one of those things where it's like it's the group that you play with like sometimes like i was fully aware that i might come into this with all these questions and would have gotten blank stares like i it it could have been a day where nobody was feeling creative and they just wanted to like hang out create a character and go home and didn't have the energy to help create a world which would have been fine um, but yeah, like the energy that we had around the table and the, the, the player who's, you know, like, uh, if we're thinking of the same person, they suggested that, uh, cause one of the questions I asked was there's a, something, some giant thing, something you can see on the horizon, you know, that it's several months away, but like, you can still see it on the horizon. And based on like riffing off a suggestion I made, like far off to the north you all can see like one of the thing that you can see is this like giant hand sticking out of the ground i mean that one was me (laughs) that was you but the player that i think we're both thinking about suggested that uh something else that you see can see on the horizon is basically like a 2d super artifacted jpeg is the best way that you we could that they could describe it and it's just like yes that is amazing like it's this thing that when you look in that direction you see what is like a two-dimensional image that is always like it's almost like it's projected straight at you no matter which way you like you're looking at it from um and it's just yeah it's exactly the kind of weird like what that i was looking for with that suggestion (laughs) yeah um and so like yeah it's a town of 
like a hundred to 150 people. And there's this ancient ship under a mountain that it's built under. And, and something that I said that I think I am going to make like canon was that this is a ship that's been, that crashed into earth so long ago that it's actually been swallowed by the earth and probably spent some time traveling around the mantle and then has been spit back out. So it is old and it is like tough. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, and one of the things that I want to know, because with Numenera or with D&D, like it always feels like if you're building a town that there needs to be something nearby that people think that is either like a dangerous area that people know what the danger is, or they, they call it cursed or haunted because only most people who go there don't come back. Ah, uh, yes. My greatest creation. <laughs> and, the and, screaming skyscraper. Yeah, so it's the what what the group came up with was like, yeah, you suggested like it's an ancient skyscraper. And was it you that suggested that it there's screaming? I believe so. Yeah, so it But it, I I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, so it's this ancient skyscraper and I'm going to like put some more thought into like what it looks like and what it's made out of or what it looks like it's made out of. But it's basically it's a an ancient skyscraper it's empty and that uh, you can hear screaming when you get close, but it's not human screaming. And my contribution was that a hundred meters around this tower, the ground is completely barren. Like nothing ever grows. Um, and one of the things that I liked about that, that came out of this region building process that we went through is that I asked about what is the weather like in the area? And somebody suggested that there's sudden lightning storms. Like it's, it's an area that like you don't get like a lot of like it's temperate. There's some rain, but this it's just there are sudden lightning storms. And because of the ruin that the town is built over, the lightning strikes are very regular. And um, I don't remember who suggested this, but the reason why these lightning storms aren't as much of a problem as they could be is the town does have a warning system. It's just that the warning system is that screaming tower starts screaming louder when there's about to be a lightning storm. <laughs> so, and this, and I will say this is my first experience because I've now had two experiences doing world building to start a campaign. And the first time was I went off on my own and built an entire world. I spent too much energy building this world. It did have some benefits because in, with D and D it meant that there was a whole world that I could draw from to do improv for, like descriptions of these ruins or this tomb that you're going through, or, you know, why does this NPC that you've just met, like, why might they like you or dislike you or all that kind of stuff. It made it easier to improv outside of combat. Um, but with Numenera and like this game that we've set up where we have really only built like a small area that's going to be explored by this, by your party of, of adventurers is, there's a lot of stuff I don't know about the area and that's exciting. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you this actually is like, cause I, in a recent episode, was it la our last regular episode? I think Maybe. We talked about how I did a similar thing. Uh, also using a bunch of the questions from Aether to, to build my setting. Uh, how do you feel about it now that it's done? And how did you feel about it while we were doing it at first? While we were doing it, I was having trouble deciding if like exactly how much control, how how much you got the the players got to take the reins. Like how much of a hand did I still have on the reins while you guys were 
going wild and coming up with all these suggestions. And what I kind of en ended up with, the balance that I took was um, what the party did, what all of you did, this is just how I'm thinking about this one instance, is what y'all have done is created a sketch um, with a couple of areas more filled in, but I have a lot more freedom. Like I still have the freedom to go in and maybe like, I'm, I don't know how much of this I'm going to do. And if I do, it's going to be very minimal, but like changing the, what the decided rationale behind something is. Cause like, cause I like, I still have the, the freedom for like, you know, to change what exactly like, cause we, cause I think this is one of the things that works with Numenera maybe a little bit better than D and D is that you don't need a, reason like D, D, you can just say like oh it's magic oh it's ghosts oh it's a monster whereas with numenera it's like yeah this tower screams and i don't have to know why like i don't ever have to know why like you guys could spend several sessions tromping through that tower and never understand why it screams or why it screams louder when there's going to be lightning like there is a freeing aspect to that but like i do know that i'm going to have to do a little bit more fleshing out specifically so that I know what is in the area that is going to cause issues <laughs> because, yeah. because it's the one part that we touched on it a, a little bit, but we didn't, I, I think we didn't do as much as I had hoped, but it also means there's more room for me to just move in and do my own thing was deciding what threatens the town. And like the, the, the what the group came up with was that like, this is a gold rush town. There is a contingent of people who have come to the town who are, who do not like the restrictions placed upon them in order to go into these ruins. Basically the town is trying to protect itself and its most valuable Numenera by saying that you can only go into the ruins if you agree to, uh, to sign a contract basically that the sheriff enforces by kicking people out of town with a Numenera that nobody quite sure is where people end up. But um, the contract is basically just like, if you're going to be here and go into these ruins, you have to spend some of your time volunteering in the town guard. But there are people who, true to life, even that is too much to, like, it stands in the way of them getting all of their, getting, like, money and power. So they just, it's this group of people who I think I'm going, like, are going to be formed into maybe something more dangerous. It might just, they might just stay as a gang that, you know, harasses the party whenever they want to leave town. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. I, it's interesting too, because it's like a town of 150 people. There's not a lot of people in there. So like, uh, if it's greater that, than a certain amount, it becomes a very big part of the population. Yeah. And, and I'm, what I'm thinking is that like that 150 people might just be the people who actually have lived there or who have started living there in the last or before the last I don't know, six months to a year. Like maybe the gold rush has really only happened in the last. There are people have started showing up for the for the gold. Well, the the tech rush in the last I don't know year or so whatever. So like the 150 people are the people who like this is their home, and then maybe there's another 50 to 100 people who have shown up in the last year who are just there for Numenera. Yeah, and some of them are happy to follow the rules, and some of them are like, no, fuck you. Yeah. So that's going to be one of the things that I. And this is one of the things that I'm I'm going back and forth on is just like, do I do I spend some time and try to not fall down a rabbit hole of doing a lot of world building 
using what we came up with as a jumping off point or do i just go full improv and things are decided as we play sessions well uh, sean i think for you the answer is you do both I, because like Sean, I know you. You're going to focus on on a specific thing that you find interesting at some point and create a lot of detail, and that's great. And other times, you're going to make up a whole thing as you go because that's kind of what's required. Yeah. Especially since we've like we basically established the idea is that it's kind of like almost a West Marches thing where you know we've got our outpost, our town, and then everything else on the map is kind of a question mark. And, you know, some stuff you'll have ahead of time and some stuff you'll be like, oh, I wanted to do something with this area, but I never decided on it. And that's where they decided to go. I guess I have to make things up. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And I think I am going to try and do lean more towards the improv side of things more than I usually do, because the something that I was talking about before everybody left is my experience with narrative focused games is that they move a lot quicker than D&D because the one thing with D&D is that like once I got into the rhythm of prepping when we were all still playing in person was that I would do like for an in-person game an hour to two hours of prep for a four-ish hour game and most of that was designing dungeons and arenas for combat and designing the combats because like the story stuff of like the the NPCs and all of that stuff that was quick, but D and D combat takes up most of any session that you play if you have a session with combat. So it it makes sense that like the story tends to move a little bit slower. Whereas with Numenera and narrative games, like an hour of prep of the kinds that I did for D and D is like a half hour of a narrative session, a narrative game session. Well, it can be. And yeah. like I think and I you know, I haven't really played in a game you've run. Uh that's an ongoing thing. I think but a thing you might need to get comfortable with is sitting back and letting players do a bunch of character work while you just go, Oh, this is neat. I wonder what's gonna happen next. Yeah. And I think I think part of it is going to be hanging back and coming up with some tools. Like doing prep but not prepping you know, in depth, but prepping like, okay, here's a couple of potential. And I think part of like, I think part of the world building that I'm going to do is determining what are some of the, you know, the, the dangers that are always around in this area. Cause like, if you're talking about D and D, if you're doing a West Marches campaign, it's like, okay, maybe over here in this mountain, there's a necromancer. So this area is going to have undead and skeletons. And over here, are a bunch of goblin tribes. So there's going to be a bunch of goblins over there, maybe a bugbear or something as a chief, who knows, depending on which tribe you're dealing with, whatever. So that so that when you're doing this West Marches game, you know that, okay, if they go in this direction, it's undead. If they go in this direction, it's goblins. And if they go in this direction, it's humans and bandits. So I just, I need to figure that kind of stuff out so that if you guys decide to go West, I know, okay, this is the stuff I've got to have in mind. This is the, you know, the small pile of monsters that I've put together for over out West, because I have a feeling that a lot of this is going to be from the seat of my pants. I'm just going to be making stuff up as we go along. And I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. And I will admit I am kind of terrified because it's, 
I know that there's a chance that I could like royally mess things up, but I have the feeling that guys probably won't care that much. Yeah, I mean, it just means our characters die, and in this kind of game, I I think we all know going in that's a much higher likelihood than maybe D and D. Yeah, and I think that to like to wrap wrap up because we're coming to an hour here. Like the thing that I think I am most nervous about, I'm not so much worried about it. I'm nervous about the fact that the thing that I've seen the most about Numenero when it comes to like combat and building characters and all of that is that this is this is not a game with balance. <laughs> like balance is not a as much of a design consideration as it is in a more simulationist game like D&D because like it's the thing with D like D&D has uh the CR for all the monsters and it has rules on like here's how you put together a combat and there's tools so that you can uh like figure out which monsters will give the right amount of challenge to your players whereas Numenera it seems to be like okay well if i throw i threw four third level bandits at them last time and that nearly killed them all so do i need to give them lower level stuff or higher level stuff with less like could, there's a lot more squishiness to how combat works it feels like so balance is not something i need to aim for and it's i think what i'm going to try and keep in mind was something i read which was basically like D is it's a tactical game where you you have to care about like placement and you know resources and all this kind of stuff whereas numenera is more combat is more narrating a an action scene from a movie where you're not really saying like i swing my sword and try to hit like it's more of a okay we're sword fighting as we you know balance on top of this cart run, racing down the street and here's my role for how this blocks worth of combat goes so yeah it, new system uh new group new yeah new group of folks i've only played with two of them before uh in in a long-running campaign so i am excited and nervous to run this new campaign hey we all know you might accidentally kill us and i think we're fine with that <laughs> I I am going to try and make sure this is kind of one of those things I think regardless of the game is that I can try and make it very clear how dangerous something is and try to make sure that there are you know telegraphed escape routes to get out of a combat if things go hairy but I think the thing that I've learned from run, from running games and from reading like after action reports from people is that players tend not to want to retreat <laughs> Yeah, so we will I'm see how that goes. Specifically, be a character that's like, you know, we don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah, so we will see how that all plays out, and uh, maybe in a couple of months we'll do a uh, a recap of of how the campaign went or is still going. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Okay, Sean. Well, uh, thank you very much for running this campaign for us and starting it up. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Uh, Let's, let's do the outro, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks again for listening to our show. We are proud members of the Cave Goblin Podcast Network. Find us and other shows at cavegoblins.com. You can support us and our network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins or by joining our Discord or by oh, leaving a review, which I guess is the next part. Yes. Give us the, reviews. Yeah, you can uh, support us by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver. You can find myself at Jesse Boros. And you can find Sean at Sean P. Hagan. 
Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find more of his work at incompetech.com. Our art is done by the indescribable Haley Boros. Uh, so you have more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. And that's it for this episode. Hope to see you out there at the gaming table. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30 p.m. PST. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.